Hi, this is Joe Feeks, editor of Poultry Health Today, and with me is Dr. David Suarez. Thank you so much for joining us today. We're happy to. At the American Association of Avian Pathologists, you gave a presentation titled H9N2, Should We Be Afraid? What's the answer to that question? Well, the answer is that that's a type of influenza that's been circulating quite widely in, in Asia and the Middle East and now Northern Africa. Uh, that has become very poultry adapted. And so I'm concerned that if those viruses got introduced into the U.S. one way or the other, that it would be much more difficult to control than our normal low-path avian influenza viruses that we've been dealing with for, you know, the last 50 years. So this one is considered low-path? This, this one is considered low-path. So in the laboratory, if you put it into chickens, generally it does not cause any serious disease. Although we do see a few that will occasionally kill a bird or two, even in our SPF chickens in the laboratory. But what's different about this one? You say it adapts to the chicken population pretty readily. Right. So the, the big difference is that mostly wild bird viruses, when they're, they're adapted to ducks and gulls and other shorebirds, and when they first jump over into chickens, most of, those, um, most of them are not very adapted to, to poultry, and so they don't, it requires a large dose to infect those birds, and, it, and the virus doesn't transmit easily bird to bird. Now, the viruses that we're talking about in Asia and the Middle East and North Africa, those viruses have been circulating in poultry for over 20 years. And they have become more poultry adapted over that period of time. And therefore, the infectious dose required to infect chickens is much lower and the viruses transmit much easier than most the influenza viruses that we deal with. So that's the concern is that, that the dose is lower and they transmit easier than what we, are, what we currently deal with. Now, this one we said was low pathogenic. The opposite, of course, is high pathogenic. Right. For the benefit of our viewers, could you just walk us through the difference between the two? Okay, so when we talk about low path and high path, the, the standard definition is that we actually will, will challenge chickens in the laboratory, SPF chickens, mm -hmm. and a high path virus will kill 75% or more of the birds in the laboratory, and a low path virus will kill less than 75%. Now, when you look at the biology, there's really a big difference where a high path virus will actually replicate systemically. It will replicate in the brain, heart, pancreas, kidney, and that's obviously why you're seeing the mortality. Now, low-path avian influenza generally only replicates on the mucosal surfaces, so it's generally primarily respiratory, maybe some enteric, and generally you don't see any systemic replication. So that's why you see such a stark contrast between the mortality between low-path low and high-path is because of where the virus is replicating. So high-path replicates basically everywhere, and low-path is restricted to those mucosal surfaces. But even though it's called low-path, we still need to be on guard for it. Right, so, right. so in the laboratory, and that's a good point to, to mention that difference because we look at things in the laboratory and a lot of times they will present themselves differently in the field. And so low path avian influenza in the laboratory generally doesn't cause much disease, but when you combine that in the field with being immunosuppressed and having poor environmental conditions, maybe high ammonia concentrations or other infectious diseases like bronchitis or mycoplasma, then you can start seeing much more serious disease and in some cases quite high mortality. So case reports of, of mortality of 20, 30, 40, 50% are not uncommon in the field. And particularly the H9N2 viruses are well known or well documented for causing disease outbreaks in the field. 
uh, and again, but when we look at them in the laboratory, they may show themselves to be not as virulent because they do require those cofactors to have that serious disease. Now, to be clear, H9N2 has not been documented in the United, in the United States? So not, the H9N2 viruses that I'm worried about have not. We have not seen any of those particular lineages of viruses. Again, we will occasionally see a, a, an H9N2 virus from a North American source, wild bird source, that gets into poultry and generally they don't stay there very long. So we have had a couple of those situations over the last year. So it's really, we're talking about the poultry adapted strains that I'm concerned about mm -hmm. uh, and not the routine wild bird viruses that we have in the U.S. Okay, so they still go by the same name. They still go by the same name, and, that, and that's where you, it is a little bit confusing uh, to understand. And, and, you know, just as a, a, you know, a contrast to that is we have H7N9 in China that's causing a lot of problems, particularly because it's been infecting people. And this year we had an H7N9 high path that also occurred in the United States, but that was a completely different lineage of virus. And so uh, although they're both H7N9s, one is a human pathogen and the other is not. Uh, and, and the only way you really know that is to, to understand what the, the genetics are of that particular virus. And, and so we have systems for classifying them, um, but that, that's how we can separate those out. So where has this pathogen been officially documented? So again, it's, it's probably one of the most common low path AI infections around the world. So it is endemic in, in China, uh, Vietnam, um, probably a lot of other Asian countries, India, Bangladesh, and then it starts moving over into the Middle Eastern countries. So, in, you know, Pakistan and um, Iraq, Iran, Saudi Arabia, uh, they've had problems in Israel, and then now it's in the North African countries, so Egypt and uh, Morocco, Tunisia, so Libya, those countries. And the important point is that this is not a reportable disease. So all, they don't ha countries that get an outbreak of H9N2 do, don't have to report it to anybody. And so we know well, why is that? Because it is avian avian influenza. It is avian influenza, but the only ones that are reportable are H5s and H7s, okay. because those are the only ones associated with highly pathogenic avian influenza. So although we have 16 hemagglutinin subtypes of known avian influenza, only two of them, H5s and H7s, are known to naturally become high path in the field. And so those are the ones that are reportable, both low path and high path are reportable to OIE, whereas none of the other subtypes are. And so that's where this H9N2 falls in. It's, it's a non-reportable avian influenza, but it has a high consequence for countries that get it if they get one of these poultry adapted lineages. And how is it being transferred? Is it still being transferred by wild birds? No, I don't think so. I don't think that's the primary way that it's being transferred. I think it's being transferred primarily by movement of infected poultry. Um, that would explain most of the cases. We, there hasn't been any surveillance to, to date to show that wild birds are carrying these poultry-adapted lineages. Um, and just for the, for the same reason is that, you know, there's a lot of wild bird adapted viruses that will outcompete a poultry adapted mm -hmm. virus. So it's, it's kind of unusual or strange to see a, a poultry adapted strain jumping back into the wild bird population. If it were to come to the United States, how would it get here? So we could certainly look at both uh, purposeful or accidental introduction. Um, you know, people all the time, you know, will bring food products or things that have not been properly cleared through APHIS. Uh, it's possible that people may import birds that were not, uh, that, that either were, went around, again, the proper testing to bring into the country, uh, or that for some reason were missed in the, in the routine surveillance as a possibility. Um, and then you can't rule out purposeful introduction that someone could you know, bring it in 
Now, all strains of avian flu, just the mere mention of the disease sets off alarms uh, in the poultry industry. What should producers and veterinarians be on the lookout for? Well, so and I think the general precautions for avian influenza um, will pick up H9N2. So there's not anything special or, you know, our, our surveillance system in the United States will identify the virus very quickly. Um, and the real-time PCR test that will identify any type A influenza will pick it up. Mm -hmm. uh, it will, those samples will eventually get sent to the National Veterinary Services Laboratory in Ames, Iowa, and they will diagnose it. They're, they're fully capable of doing that with the reagents that we have. Uh, the big question that we have is what do you do once you have a diagnosis? Um, because, again, the, the regulatory control program for H5 and H7 influenza don't apply because it's another subtype and then then it becomes a state issue or an industry issue as, as opposed to a, a USDA national issue um, and so the the response plans that work for H5 and H7 will work for H9 um, but again it's not part of the response plan it's outside of the response plan uh, so there's not anything again uh, particularly unusual about the virus itself, itself except that it is more poultry adapted than the viruses that we currently have um, or that we currently routinely see I should say. But knowing the potential of this pathogen um, would they consider changing the rules so that even well, though it is low path I mean it could still have devastating economic consequences on our poultry industry. Right, it, it does. And, you know, and that's probably why I, I wanted to have this presentation. It, it's been kind of a focus of my research over the last uh, year or two, and that I recognize it as one of those things around the world that if we got it into U.S. poultry, it could be quite devastating. And so part of it is to raise awareness that this, this virus is out there and that we do need a response plan um, and how that exactly needs to, to be set up, I, you know, I'm, I don't know, uh, and you know, I'm a researcher and, and so I don't propose regulation, uh, but certainly want to talk uh, to the industry, talk to APHIS, which is the, the US, part of the USDA that does respond to these outbreaks, uh, you know, talk to other researchers and try to get them to have a consensus about what kind of approach they would like to see if you know, an unusual strain of avian influenza uh, came about. Certainly H9N2 I think is the greatest risk, but there are other viruses out there sure. that if got introduced could also cause similar types of issues for us if they're not H5s and H7s.